The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with stock kicking off this new week in the red. After Friday's blowout jobs report, investors awaiting reaction and possibly more hawkish commentary from Jay Powell tomorrow. And one bank is not waiting. That's Goldman Sachs. Their chief economist, David Costin, out with a new note over the weekend that should make at least some of the bulls out there happy. And some breaking news this morning. Dell adds its name to the list of companies that are cutting jobs amid ongoing economic uncertainty. Plus, the search continues for debris after the U.S. shot down a Chinese spy balloon over the weekend, what China is saying this morning over what it calls an attack. And later... Breaking down what was a wild week for tech. The names you need to watch as the dust it settles just a bit. It is Monday, February 6, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I am Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this week and this hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we said, U.S. stock futures are mostly in the red this morning. You're seeing the Dow down, looking like it could open up just about 200 points lower than NASDAQ down as well. This all after a mostly lower session for stocks on Friday, following that blowout jobs report and some renewed concerns. The Fed will see it as more room to run as it looks to tamp down inflation. We also want to check the bond market. This is really critical right now. Um, the 10-year yield on the uh, 10-year benchmark, excuse me, 3.58. We're still seeing the inverted yield curve. As we mentioned, continuing to watch this as this is a big deal for a lot of tech companies, tech about a quarter to a third of uh, either of the indices, depending on how you look at it. Also looking at energy, WTI coming off its lowest close since early January. This morning, we're seeing WTI fractionally in the red, down about 73 bucks a barrel. The real important thing here, this is about six, five bucks a barrel lower than we started the year. Brent crude at about 80 bucks a barrel fractionally higher this morning. Um, We're also looking at natural gas coming off its lowest close since December of 2020. Right now we're seeing natural gas down about a half a percent as well. Also paying attention to crypto and we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether having really strong starts to this year. As a matter of fact, both Bitcoin and Ether are up about 35 percent higher year to date. This morning, a bit of a different story for each of them. Bitcoin down fractionally, still below that 24,000 mark that seemed to be key just a couple days ago. And Ether uh, up over a half a percent right now. All right. want to turn our attention to around the world and the global economy. We're mostly seeing red arrows overnight in Asia. Japan, the lone standout. Europe just getting its trading day underway, mostly lower across the board. Something we're going to continue to watch this morning. All right, let's get into some of this morning's top stories, including more job cuts at Big Tech. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. Well, breaking this morning, Dell says it is eliminating more than 6,000 jobs or 5% of its global workforce, citing market conditions that, quote, continue to erode with an uncertain future. The cuts, which are the latest to hit the tech sector, come as PC demand continues to decline. Dell seeing PC sales fall 37% in the fourth quarter of last year compared to a year ago. Meantime, a jury late Friday finding Tesla CEO Elon Musk not liable in a shareholder class action lawsuit stemming from his 2018 funding secured tweet to take Tesla private. 
The San Francisco jury's unanimous verdict came after just two hours of deliberation. And Apple is selling its latest and greatest iPhones at a discount in China. JD.com and state carrier China Mobile are among the retailers taking more than $100 off the devices in recent days. The move suggests struggling demand for the handset. Local Apple stores, meanwhile, continue to sell the iPhones at full price. Frank, I wish I could get $100 off my phone. Yeah, you know, Pippa, I'm in need of a new phone myself. I have like an iPhone 2 right now, personally. <laughs> my work phone's up to date, but my personal one's pretty far behind. Let's hope those discounts come over here to the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our Pippa Stevens, great to see you. See you later on the show. All right, U.S. stock futures, they may be pointing to a lower open, but Goldman Sachs says there's a new reason to be bullish. In a note from David Costin's team over the weekend, following Friday's blowout jobs report, quote, recent macro developments have strengthened our economist's confidence in a soft landing. We therefore believe the risk of a substantial drawdown in the near term has diminished. We raise our three-month S&P 500 price target to 4,000, negative 3% from today from 3,600. Interesting note there. Joining me now, Chantico Global CEO Gina Sanchez, also a CNBC, CNBC contributor. But we're going to get to her in just a moment. Technical difficulties, you know how the Internet works. But first, we're going to turn our attention now to a developing story this morning. And U.S. Navy ships and the Coast Guard continue to search for the remnants of a Chinese spy balloon that was shot down Saturday off the coast of South Carolina. China stepping up its rhetoric this morning following a former protest, formal protest with the U.S. Embassy in Beijing after calling the action a, quote, attack and obvious overreaction. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington. A lot of talk, a lot of uh, speculation about that balloon, Bree. Yeah, good morning, Frank. And a lot of mixed reaction. President's allies are praising him, while critics say that the Biden administration should have shot down the Chinese surveillance balloon sooner. Eyes were glued to the sky as an American F-22 Raptor shot down a Chinese spy balloon Saturday. I ordered the Pentagon to shoot it down on Wednesday as soon as possible. The Biden administration first detecting the high-altitude surveillance tool on January 28th in Alaska, its path eventually crossing over into Montana, Wyoming, Kansas, Missouri, and finally the Carolinas, flying over sensitive military sites along the way before it was blown to pieces over the Atlantic Ocean near Myrtle Beach. Debris picked up and brought to shore. Clearly, the president taking it down over the Atlantic is sort of like the quarterback, sort of like tackling the quarterback after the game is over. Republicans argue China was testing President Biden's strength. Unfortunately, the president failed that test, uh, and that's dangerous for the American people. I would use two words in answering these GOP criticisms. They are premature and they are political. Our friends are playing politics with U.S. intelligence. Administration officials saying the president's actions weakened China's surveillance capabilities. You saw a great example of the coordination and cooperation between a lot of different players in our government to make sure everything happens safely. Tensions with China are rising following the downed spy balloon. Officials in Beijing blasting the United States for shooting it out of the sky, calling it a clear overreaction. And on February 15th, senators are scheduled to receive a briefing on the Chinese surveillance balloon. Frank? Jackson, we appreciate it. Best, uh, the latest from down in D.C. All right, let's get back to U.S. stock futures near session lows. And joining me now is Chantico Global CEO Gina Sanchez, also a CNBC contributor. 
Gina, great to have you here right now. Uh, just first off, let's just get a sense of what we're seeing this morning. Uh, obviously, this follows that blowout jobs report on Friday, really exceeded expectations. And then just a few days before that, some comments from Jay Powell that people are seem, seemingly interpreting the way they want to. Um, what do you make of the action that we're seeing today following the jobs report? Look, I think that the markets are, um, you know, somewhat concerned that uh, that there is more to come from Powell. Uh, the Tuesday talk is going to give Powell an opportunity to clarify now that the jobs report came out. Here's the problem that I see with the jobs report is the jobs report is still really impacted by the fact that we have just a shortage of workers. If you look at labor participation and then you split it up into 55 plus and 25 to 55, that 55 plus cohort is down and is not coming back. Um, that younger cohort, now there is a shortage of workers, and that shortage of workers is keeping those jobs numbers up and keeping unemployment down, and it makes it very hard for the Fed to navigate this. You know, speaking of jobs, uh, Dell, the latest tech company, announced that it's doing job cuts today. Um, how big of a factor mm -hmm. is that for the Fed and the decisions that they're making? We've covered here on CNBC a number of times that tech jobs overall are a small percentage of the economy. But to see this continued trend of these companies cutting jobs and reducing their workforces, does that impact the Fed and then the markets in any meaningful way long term? Look, you hit the nail on the head. It is a small portion of the jobs market, and it's not going to make a blip on the radar for what the Fed is looking for. And the problem is, is that the Fed is looking for the kind of blip that would actually throw us into a massive recession. And that is my concern, um, is that that, sh that job, sh that worker shortage that I'm talking about, that is very real. If you look at the number of weeks in between jobs, which is a better kind of estimate of how much pain people are going through, um, that number is still actually actually quite low compared to the great financial crisis or to um, the dot-com bomb. And so people are finding jobs quickly. So if you lose your job, you're finding another job pretty quickly. Job growth is starting to slow, and that is where the Fed needs to focus. Also on Tuesday, we're going to get consumer credit. Consumer credit is also starting to fall. I mean, we ate into our all that pandemic savings <laughs> we had. We've pretty much spent it, and we've been building up our consumer credit levels. Well, that's starting to plateau. That's a another kind of important factor that the Fed needs to take into consideration um, when looking at whether or not the interest rate hikes are biting. All right. Gina Sanchez from Chintico Global. We appreciate the insight. Thank you for being here. All right. When we come back here on WEX, Thank a new you, week and a new ban on Russian-made crude. What this latest move out of the EU could mean for prices a bit closer to home. Plus, the Adani sell-off disaster continues. While U.S. investors should be paying closer attention to this mess, and later, a close call in the tarmac over the weekend. Now the feds are investigating. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. 
From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Europe imposing a new ban this week on Russian-made diesel fuel and other oil products, such as gasoline and jet fuel. The move seeks to further cut energy dependence on Moscow and kind of crimp the Kremlin's revenue from fossil fuel as a punishment for invading Ukraine. Checking the prices, gas oil, which is Europe's equivalent of gasoline and diesel, is lower. U.S. heating oil, the contract that includes diesel, that's higher. Let's talk much more about this now with John Kilduff, founding partner at Again Capital and a CNBC contributor. John, great to have you here. Thank you, Frank. Good morning. All right, so that sanction on uh, Russian oil in the EU, that begins today. Give, give us a sense of the price action and how that's going to impact it. So far this year, when we look at WTI, it's actually about five or six bucks a barrel lower than it started the year. That's right. And that's because of concerns over the global economy and what the central banks are doing in terms of ganging up on the economy globally to slow it down. And, and a slowdown in the economy engineered by them translates into lower fuel demand, or, or so the theory goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the situation right now is the other end of this thing is that we haven't lost material amounts of Russian crude oil. That was one of the biggest fears in the market through most of last year, and still is. Um, and, you know, now we're worried about the Russian fuel oil situation. But what's been happening, um, there is no greater group of folks who, can ev- who are good at evading sanctions than all the major oil producers, really. <laughs> you know, Iran is expert at it. Russia has just ginned up a big uh, ghost fleet that's going to be hitting this, the open seas soon. So, again, right now the market has the sense that we have uh, economic headwinds and continue continued supplies of Russian fuel. Uh, also, too, what's been happening is that now India has ramped up production of their refiners, buying super cheap Russian crude oil, really? which then gets turned into diesel fuel, which is heading our way. So they're supplying the world with that. So it's sort of a workaround. You know, so the bottom line is there isn't the shortage that a lot of people were expecting. People expected a shortage, especially when we saw OPEC Plus do some cuts, but it just hasn't happened. And I'll tell you, it's a, it's a vulnerability. I sort of liken it to a rush hour in, in New York City in the morning. Uh-oh. You know, lots of cars go through to George Washington Bridge and the Lincoln Tunnel, right? Every day, tons of them. You have one little accident. It's a nightmare. You've got a 90-minute, two-hour delay getting in, right? So that's what, the mar- that's what the oil market's sort of on pins and needles right now, similarly. If we have any kind of an accident, if we do lose some of the supply then prices, you know, are, are vulnerable to go back up higher. But right now, as long as things stay quiescent, um, you know, all good and, and, pro- and trending lower in my view. Right. So I want to stay uh, with your metaphor here. We haven't had an accident, but also we just haven't seen the same number of cars on the road. I'm talking about China. That yes. reopening that people keep saying was going to happen all the way to last year from the Beijing Marathon, that was supposed to be the big reopening. And then Lunar New Year was supposed to be the, the big reopening. But we just haven't seen it. How big of a factor in Q1 especially can a reopening of China or just a greater opening of China be? I, I think it's the fears, again, have been overstated for now. Uh, there was an epic traffic jam coming back from Lunar New Year, if you believe the social media pictures and things out of Beijing. Uh, the traffic data that, uh, that I look at is, is not jumping off the chart at me, though, yet either. So like ourselves, uh, gasoline demand here, for example, has been almost recession-like, uh, even though you know, miles driven have picked up. Uh, you know, we're still seeing a lag in the rebound for, for global petroleum, for whatever reason. All right, you touched on this in the beginning. But how big of an impact can the Fed, the ECB and other central banks have on continued oil demand for the rest of the year? 
Well, a big one. I mean, if they, if they come to take a club to the market and to the economy, I mean, and really try to slow it down, and this last jobs report on Friday, that was a negative uh, for oil. Usually, strong employment bodes for strong gasoline demand. But if this is another, you know, quiver in, in Powell's, you know, quiver to, uh, to, take, to slow down the economy, Frank, um, it's, it's a headwind big time for, for oil. And that will engineer lower oil prices, not higher ones. All right. John Kilduff. Appreciate the insight of the oil market. I think everybody in the U.S., really globally, is something you're watching because those gas prices, they hit your pockets. 100%, first. Frank. Thanks. All right. Appreciate it, John. All right. Well, the EU and the G7, they may have imposed sanctions on exports of Russian oil, gas, and diesel. But so far, Russia's nuclear power industry has just been left out. A ban on uranium imports has been discussed in some circles, but has never been formally proposed. But could that change in the near future? Our Pippa Stevens joins us now with more. Pippa. That's right, Frank. Multiple rounds of sanctions against Russia have yet to target the country's uranium industry. And that's because Russia is a key player, supplying 31 percent of Europe's enriched uranium in 2021 and 28 percent of the U.S.'s. Now, this week, the House Energy and Commerce Committee is considering a bill that would ban Russian uranium imports, although a waiver process would be in place through 2028. This is not the first such proposal, with prior bills failing to generate bipartisan support. But as the war stretches on, utilities are increasingly self-sanctioning. Nima Ashkabusi from the Nuclear Energy Institute noted that U.S. utilities are still taking delivery of Russian uranium under prior contracts. But they haven't entered into new contracts with Russian suppliers since the war began. He added there is also the chance that Russian supply simply cuts off exports, meaning utilities are trying to diversify their supply chains. And remember, Frank, nuclear power makes up about 19 percent of the U.S.'s grid. So there really is no easy substitution. Think of a percentage, Pippa. Uh, amid all this focus on global energy systems, we've seen commodities like oil and gas spike and then just come back down to earth. How have uranium stocks performed? Well, after a lackluster end to 2022, we've seen gains at both the URA and the URNM, both of which are up double digits so far this year. And John Champaglia from Sprott Asset Management told me that he thinks some of the weakness at the end of last year was thanks to investors simply sitting on the sidelines and saying, you know, what is what is Chair Powell going to do next? And he said that he's seen an, an increase in interest so far this year. And I think this really is within the context of as we move away from Russian energy and as nations look to secure their energy independence and security, nuclear power has kind of had this renaissance um, in, in the past year. And so with that, amid that backdrop, as we keep reactors online for longer and as countries pledge to build new nuclear power plants, there is a finite supply of uranium stocks. And so investors are looking to these mining companies and saying, hey, that could be a good long-term bet, given that we're going to need more uranium and for longer. All right. Certainly a story to watch. Our Pippa Stevens. Thanks a lot, Pippa. Still on deck here on WEX, Evercore's Mark Mahaney and why he's still bullish on names like Alphabet and Amazon, despite last week's miss. WEX coming back after this. Stay with us. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 
All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Philip Menes in New York with the very latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Frank. Good morning. A 7.8 magnitude earthquake rocked southern Turkey and Syria early this morning. More than 1,300 people have died so far, according to AP reporting. A frantic search for survivors is now underway after buildings collapsed, trapping residents under rubble. In northwest Syria, the opposition's Syrian civil defense described the situation as disastrous, declaring a state of emergency. They're urging people to evacuate buildings and to gather in open areas. After four years and just one playoff series win, Kyrie Irving is moving on from the Nets. The eight-time All-Star was traded from Brooklyn to the Dallas Mavericks after asking for a trade late last week. And while the trade has not been officially announced, the spokesperson for Irving confirmed to NBC News he has, in fact, been dealt to the Mavs. Beyonce is not just breaking souls, she's smashing records. She made history at the Grammys last night, picking up her 32nd award and becoming the winningest artist ever. And the accolades just keep adding up for Viola Davis. The actress scored the legendary EGOT. She now has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony after winning Best Audiobook for her memoir, Finding Me. So, Frank, Viola Davis now becomes the 18th person ever to get an EGOT. Wow, there's 18 people. You know, it's just an incredible accomplishment, getting awards from all those different, very prestigious organizations. Congratulations to her. Philip, great to see you. Likewise. All right, as we had to break during Worldwide Exchange, a quick check on Nissan and Renault. The automakers unveiling the details of the revamped alliance, with Nissan committing to buy a stake of up to 15% of Renault's EV unit. The alliance's junior partner, Mitsubishi Motors, will also consider investing in Renault's EV business as part of that deal. You see right now shares of Renault down about 1%, and we are back right after this. Stocks under pressure to start the week as investors digest what a wild week for tech earnings it was in Friday's blog jobs report. As we said, futures are in the red. Dow adding its name to the list of companies cutting staff in 2023, an omen of even more to come. Plus, the Adani sell-off disaster continues. Why U.S. investors should be paying closer attention to this mess. It is Monday, February the 6th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here is how U.S. stock futures are shaping up. In the red across the board right now, we see the Dow. It looks like it could open up just about 200 points lower than NASDAQ. The laggard at this early part of the morning down about a percent. Uh, what a week we're coming off of. It was kind of a mixed week on Wall Street. They saw the Nasdaq and higher by more than 3%. It's fifth straight winning week. The first time it's done that since November of 2021. Align, Meta Platforms, AMD, helping to lead things higher. Not to be outdone, however, the Dow Transports, they were also sharply higher last week. We're just waiting for this chart to change. We're going to show it to you. Dow Transports uh, up over the week, as you can see right here. Best week since November. We're talking Old Dominion with a earnings surprise. FedEx rallying after some job cuts and JetBlue among the leaders. Now paying attention to the bond market. We're looking at the bond market right now. Of course, we're always watching the 10-year benchmark right now at about 3.61, just a couple basis points higher than it was a week ago. Still have the inverted yield curve. I'm not going to circle it. But you're seeing the two-year note at 4.4 right now. We also want to hit oil. We're always watching oil. We just had John Kilduff on a moment ago. Right now, WTI at about 73 bucks a barrel. That's about 
Six bucks a barrel lower than it was to start the year, up about a half a percent right now. Brent crude at about 80, 80 and a half right now, up almost a percent. Early trading still. Uh, both coming off their lowest close since early January. Remember, excuse me, natural gas coming off its uh, lowest close since early January. We've got to remember the import restrictions of Russian refined crude went into effect in Europe over the weekend. We're going to have to see what kind of impact those sanctions and bans will have. All right. Time now for your big money movers and what's looking like the makings of a merger Monday. That's interesting. Pippa Stevens is back with that. Good morning again, Pippa. Hey, Frank. Yeah, merger Monday is right. Let's start here with public storage making an $11 billion unsolicited offer for rival life storage after an earlier bid was rejected. That's according to The Wall Street Journal, which said public storage sent a letter to life storage's management yesterday with details for its all stock proposal. The deal would be valued at around $15 billion, including debt. And the world's largest gold producer, Newmont Mining, looking to buy up Australia's Newcrest Mining for roughly $17 billion in what would be one of the biggest deals for a global gold miner on record. The proposed deal comes as gold prices have experienced a sustained period of strength since 2020. Prices are up about 15 percent since early November. Shares of Newmont down about 15 percent right now. And Tesla is hiking prices for its Model Y long range and Model Y performance by $1,000 in the U.S., This after the government Friday raised the ceiling on the price of crossover electric vehicles that are eligible for federal tax credits. This marks the second increase in prices for long-range models over the past two weeks, though both models are still between 15 and 17 percent cheaper than they were before Tesla slashed prices last month. Frank, a lot of price updates to keep track of. (laughs) I think a lot of people are hoping, again, those price cuts come to the U.S. and they're deeper. Uh, a lot of us looking to save a couple of bucks with all this inflation, Pippa. Pippa Stevens, thank you very much. All right, it has been a wild few weeks for mega cap tech. Check out the NASDAQ. Up nearly 15% this year after wrapping its fifth straight week of gains on Friday. Its longest weekly winning streak since November of 2021. This following a busy week of earnings with Meta outperforming its peers, soaring 23% in its third best week ever. That optimism not being felt at Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet, however. All dropping on weaker than expected guidance for the year. Though shares of Apple, they did turn around to end the week with a 6% gain, despite reporting its steepest drop in revenue in seven years. Let's talk much more about the road ahead for tech with Mark Mahaney, Evercore ISI head of Internet Research, and Alex Kantrowitz, big technology founder and a CNBC contributor. Gentlemen, great to have both of you here. Uh, Mark, I'm going to start off with you. After what we saw from Meta, Apple, Amazon, and Alphabet, does it change the ratings that you have for these companies or your view about the investability of mega cap tech in the long term, or at least for the rest of this quarter? Well, let's see. Uh, you know, we thought we began the year with these uh, assets being uh, significantly de-risked, both in terms of multiples and uh, estimates. Uh, cost actions that kind of helped with that. And cost actions, that's a nice way of saying uh, job cuts. And um, that seems to have largely played. Look, fundamentals across the group weakened. Uh, revenue growth rates decelerated or turned negative for every single one of the big tech, uh, big, big tech names. <coughs> But that was finally estimated in, and that was finally priced in after a year of really aggressive uh, price cut, um, uh, estimates cuts and after a year of multiples being brought down. It's just that the sector became more investable for the near term. For the long term, there's no change. But for the near term, the sector became more investable because the estimates had been cut enough and because the multiples had been brought down enough. And my guess is that the year-to-date gains we've seen in Megatech are probably going to be uh, sustainable. 
So any ratings changes for you, Mark? Or are they all at the same rating they were before earnings? I changed uh, 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 price targets around on some of these. I don't cover Apple. Uh, my, my top pick in this group has been Meta, uh, not because Meta has better growth, but because its valuation was the cheapest. Uh, you can buy this thing at the 14 times uh, earnings. Uh, and they had taken aggressive uh, steps in terms of uh, reducing uh, 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 reducing employees. Uh, but uh, there was also the factor that they're actually now likely to grow their ad revenue faster than Google. That was kind of a surprise to the market. But just the setup seemed more reasonable to me, given um, the steps that they had taken and that the, the, the headwinds they faced, I don't think are as strong as Google has faced because they faced them last year. That was really the only change uh, at the margin. We became more constructive on uh, on Meta. But you know, we continue to have an outperform on Meta, Google and Amazon. Yeah, you know, Meta is really the talk of mega cap tech right now. Alex, I'm going to come over to you. The year of efficiency, that really seemed to resonate with investors. What do you think about this year of efficiency when it comes to Meta? And what does that mean for broader tech that this resonated so much with investors? Well, it's Mark Zuckerberg showing that he's the best CEO in big tech right now. It's speaking to the market and promising that he's going to deliver what they want, what the market wants. Now, Meta, it's not like it really slowed down its metaverse spending, right? The company still lost, like for, spent $4 billion on the metaverse ended up spending somewhere around 12 billion for the year. So it's not like he's pulling back on, on spending all that much. Of course, there were the layoffs. But I think what the market really wanted to hear from Zuckerberg and all these CEOs is that they're listening. And that was the big fear. That's why Meta went down so much last year is because Zuckerberg had this commitment to continue spending and to continue losing money without regard for what the market wanted. By saying this is gonna be the year of efficiency, Mark Zuckerberg finally said, I'm paying attention to you. I know what you want and I'm gonna give it to you. And I think the rest of the big tech CEOs would do well to follow suit and say, you know, message at least the same way, you know, even if their business results aren't going to look exactly the same. All right. One thing I want to touch on why we have you two gentlemen here right now, the Nasdaq down about 1% in the pre-market, a lot of fear that the Fed's going to do more tightening. What does Friday's jobs report mean for mega cap tech and how investors view it? Uh, blowout jobs report, uh, you know, job total probably about three to four times higher than what people were expecting. Uh, Mark, you... Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, one of the biggest headwinds facing uh, mega cap tech last year was the aggressively rising interest rates. I mean, we went through several years of uh, super easy money and a decade of easy money. And so when you tap rates go, I don't know, parabolic, I don't know what the right expression is to go from zero to uh, expectations of, of four and a half to five percent. I mean, that's a massive change that that change is not going to be nearly as massive going forwards. And the market is sort of waiting for the uh, interest rates growth to moderate and then to, to come back down. And uh, all of that will be that, that shift from aggressive growth in rates to moderating growth into eventual, you know, uh, hopefully stabilization and, and then decline. That'll be kind of a fundamental uh, positive for uh, mega cap tech, but particularly for more what I call speculative tech, those companies that don't have earnings, material earnings until several years out. Those are the valuations that really got crushed so I think uh, mega cap tech gets less impacted by that. But it's, no, it, it's not going to be the gale force headwind it was uh, last year, but it will be a headwind until those rates moderate. You know, Alex, I want to ask you about the other side of the coin. Dell announcing today a job cuts, becoming the latest tech company to do so. Shares down about a half a percent in the pre-market. We'll have to see if that changes. But generally, when these companies announce workforce reduction, job cuts, whatever you want to call them, they see a pop in the stock. Do you see that trend continuing when it comes to mega cap tech as well? 
Yes, but more muted. And I think the reason is because we've gone through most of the pain for tech already. We're already seeing tech on the rebound now. And the conditions are starting to make sense for tech in the way that they wouldn't before with the Fed tailing off on interest rates. Now there's a little bit more predictability in the market, which is allowing the market to come back to these names. And the reason why we would see the pops on layoffs is because we were in this uncertain moment and we had no idea when inflation was going to tail off, when these rates were going to tail off and the companies cutting people, cutting costs were a signal that, OK, we're going to be there with you as long as there is this uncertainty. Now that we're getting to more certain times, we're starting to see these stocks come back. And so they're not the moves are not as meaningful as they were beforehand. That's probably what you're seeing with Dell today. All right, Mark Mahaney and Alex Kantrowitz, thank you both for your insight. Great to have you both here. All right, turn our attention now to another story that we're watching very closely, and that is the ongoing sell-off of shares in companies owned by India conglomerate Adani, which have shed more than $100 billion in market value in the past two weeks. Following the release of that short-seller report by Hindenburg Research, this morning, members of India's opposition party piling more pressure on Prime Minister Modi and his ties to Adani founder Gwadam Adani, as well as the systemic risks and Adani collapse that they could pose to the entire Indian economy. Rasima Modi joins us now with a closer look at the impact for U.S. investors. Good morning, Seema. Good morning, Frank. Well, Adani Group's rapid decline and the ongoing allegations of fraud has certainly undermined confidence in the country. After two years of outperforming global markets, the $5 billion MSCI India ETF are lagging its emerging market peers this year by a wide Margin. Adani's eight listed stocks, now the worst performing names in the MSCI Asia ETF. Meanwhile, foreign investors have pumped in over $20 billion into broader Asia. That's two-thirds going to Chinese equities. Tech giants in Taiwan and Korea witnessing inflows as well, while India has seen outflows. That's according to HSBC. Now, Krishna Mamani, CIO of Lafayette University's $1 billion endowment, telling CNBC that the Adani allegations and a lack of forceful response from the Indian government has weighed on sentiment. And therefore, it's important for emerging market investors to, to get selected. CNBC analyzed which ETFs Adani's stocks have been held in, and MSCI India, that's the main one, with about a 5% weighting, while Wisdom Tree's ETF ticker EPI, because it tracks an earnings-weighted index, has less than 1% exposure. And then there's sector-specific ETFs, like the Nifty Financials and Consumer India, Consumer, uh, Consumer India ETF with zero exposure. Uh, so those are ways to sort of play emerging markets in India with, with limiting your exposure to Adani. Now, MSCI says it is seeking feedback on the Adani Group and its related securities. No plans yet to delist the Adani Group, telling us that MSCI so far has not reached out. Frank? All right, so a lot going on here, Seema. Are we expecting to hear from Adani this week? And is there anything that he can say to appease investors? Well, he did break his silence last week, Frank, for the first time since the Hindenburg report came out in a pre-recorded televised statement to the media, trying to express confidence in his company and trying to make the point that his financial books are clean. Um, that message didn't really seem to resonate with investors as we watch shares of Adani uh, continue to move lower, now down about 60 percent year to date. As you pointed out, Adani himself has lost about $100 billion in wealth in that time span. 
Uh, what investors do want to hear from him are any plans to deleverage. This morning, uh, Adani Group did announce plans to pay back $1.14 billion of loans before their 2024 maturity date. So are there similar plans to do more when looking at the other seven listed companies? Uh, and then the other question is going to be for the banks. Uh, Adani has about $30 billion of debt. 40% of which is held by Indian banks. Are there plans to offload that debt or stop lending to him personally? Frank? All right, a lot to follow there. Arsimi Modi with the very latest. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, as tax season is formally underway, one deduction continues to be a thorn in the side of many. That's the salt tax. But now one group of Americans may have found a way to make it disappear. Frank and Frank, it's coming up next. Our Robert Frank with that story. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to WAX. As tax season formally gets underway, one deduction continues to be a thorn in the side of many across the country, the salt tax. And even though Democrats last year failed to remove that $10,000 cap, one group of Americans, they've just found a way to make it disappear. Robert Frank joins us now. This is a story I think a lot of homeowners want to hear, Robert. Good morning. They do, Frank, and you're absolutely right. That $10,000 cap on state and local tax deductions does not expire until 2025. But a growing number of taxpayers are getting around it with a special loophole. It is called the pass-through entity tax. It allows owners of pass-throughs, that's S-Corps, partnerships, or LLCs, to get a full deduction for their state and local business income taxes. Now, more than 30 states have approved these. The biggest beneficiaries are hedge fund managers, private equity partners, lawyers, doctors, car dealers, really any other business owners. Critics say... This is unfair and expensive, the tax policy center say. Taxpayers in New York and California have already channeled more than $40 billion in income through this loophole. Daniel Hemmel, a law professor at NYU, estimates the federal government will lose more than $50 billion in revenue by 2025 because of this loophole. Now, with most of the benefits going to those with earnings of $1 million or more in income. Hemmel calls the practice a scandal and says the IRS should rule it illegal. The Biden administration, he says, notwithstanding his professed commitment to tax fairness, has acquiesced to this massive giveaway to the rich. By the way, New York City started allowing this practice this month, becoming the first municipality to approve the workaround. And Frank, given that the Democrats have tried without success to get rid of salt, unlikely that any of this changes soon. This is really interesting, Robert. So I think the big question here, is there any movement in Congress to change this? Not in Congress. Remember, last year, the Democrats tried to get rid of the salt cap or perhaps raise it to twenty five or eighty thousand dollars. That was unsuccessful. Republicans have no impetus to do this. It's really going to be up to the IRS and its new commissioner to effectively rule this to be illegal. Now, the, the previous IRS commissioner back in 2020 approved it. He blessed it. And that's why all these states, once it was blessed by the IRS, have now come on board. Robert, I'm seeing in the future a rush of people going to their secretary of state to file an LLC. That's what I'm seeing in the future. Uh, great yep. to have you here as yep. always. And it's happening. Yeah, I, I believe it. And we got to get this Frank and Frank podcast going, or at least work out, man. You got to show me some workouts. All right, Robert Frank, great report as always. Got it. As we had to break... During February, we're celebrating black heritage through some stories of our CNBC teammates, contributors, and leaders in business. Here is 15% Pledge founder, Aurora James. I launched my 
brand Brother Bellies in 2013 with one simple goal, supporting African artisans. I launched with just $3,500 at a flea market in New York City, and since then I've gone on to sell millions of dollars worth of shoes, all made by incredible artisans across the world. In the wake of George Floyd's murder, it occurred to me just how little access some of my peers had. Black-owned businesses were over 40% likely to close during the pandemic. So I launched my nonprofit, The 15% Pledge, as a call to action for major retailers to commit 15% of their shelf space to Black-owned businesses. We partnered with over 20 of the biggest retailers across the country, and we're now in the process of shifting over $10 billion to Black-owned businesses across the country. All right, welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour, and here we go. U.S. Navy ships in the Coast Guard continue to search for the remnants of a Chinese spy balloon that was shot down Saturday off the coast of South Carolina. China stepping up its rhetoric this morning following a formal protest with the U.S. Embassy in Beijing after calling the action a, quote, obvious overreaction. Breaking news this morning. Dell says it's eliminating more than 6,000 jobs, citing market conditions that, quote, continue to erode with, uns- with an uncertain future. The cuts amount to about 5% of Dell's global workforce. The U.S. donor network, led by billionaire Charles Koch, says it will oppose Donald Trump's bid to secure the 2024 presidential Republican presidential nomination. Trump formally launched his campaign back in November. The Carlisle Group is hiring former Goldman Sachs executive Harvey Schwartz as its next chief executive officer. According to multiple reports, the announcement is expected to be official as of this morning. And Apple is selling its latest and greatest iPhones at a discount in China. JD.com and state carrier China Mobile are among the retailers taking more than 100 bucks off the devices in recent days. And the National Transportation Safety Board is investigating an incident Saturday involving two Southwest and FedEx jets that came within 1,000 feet of each other on a runway in Austin, Texas. The FAA is also taking a look. All right, gearing up for the trading week ahead. Today we're awaiting earnings from Take-Two Interactive and Pinterest. We're also keeping an eye on the FTX bankruptcy hearing, which starts at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Tomorrow, we got earnings from SoftBank and Chipotle, a conversation between Fed Chair Jay Powell and David Rubenstein at the Economic Club of Washington, D.C., and President Biden's State of the Union address before Congress. On Wednesday, watching Uber, Under Armour, and Walt Disney, which all report earnings, also waiting weekly mortgage application numbers. Then on Thursday, Credit Suisse, PepsiCo, and Lyft are all expected to report. And then to finish the week, consumer sentiment, and federal budget data on Friday. <clears throat> Let's discuss all this and what it means for the markets and for your money. And we're going to bring in Victoria Green of G Square Private Wealth, founding partner and CIO, as well as a CNBC contributor. Vicky, always great to have you on. Thanks, Frank. Glad to be here. All right, so Vicky, just kind of give us a sense of what you're making of today's market action. We're kind of sandwiched between that blowout jobs report on Friday, and then we're getting Jay Powell speaking again tomorrow following his comments just last week. What do you think about what we're seeing this morning? And what do you expect for the rest of today? I think the markets are expecting Powell to become out very hawkish. I think that the way the markets reacted to uh, his decision on Wednesday and his comments after the mm-hmm. Fed rate decision is was so, so uh, dovish and so bullish and, hey, it's all risk on. So I would not be a surprise at all to see him come out extremely hawkish and try to walk back these expectations that every time he does this, he seems to have to walk them back and remind people he is still hawkish, that, yes, acknowledging disinflation was not the end of the rate hikes and higher for longer, which is something the bond market it doesn't believe in right now is something he wants. So I think today's action is a little bit of, of risk off. We've seen the markets run up so hard in January, ran up the first part of last week, especially post-Fed. Now we're seeing a little bit, maybe we got overbought. Everybody's remembering there's still risk out there and we could see a little bit of a sell-off. 
All right, we're talking about Jay Powell. We're talking about the jobs report. Almost hard to remember. Got a lot of earnings left, including some reports later on this week. Give us a sense of the stocks that you like that are reporting this week and how you see the reports impacting their price action going forward. Sure. One of them we like this morning is on semi. Um, they're very exposed to automotive and industrial. They're, they're looking to make that about 75%. So I think they've missed the worst of this PC slowdown, which we saw with Dell reporting. PCs are definitely still in a world of hurt. They're a leader in the silicone carbine type chip, which is a little bit different than the regular silicone chip. It does better on thermal conduction and, and letting the thermal heat dissipate. And so I really like this company. I think they're going to be able to grow their margins and they're avoiding the worst parts of the semi slowdown. So it's one of these conductors. Yes, it's had a good run up up 30 percent this year but i think i actually have faith that actually made money and going to make us more money uh uh coming in the next quarter uh, and another one i, I do like uh, is chipotle uh one of my favorite stocks i think they're so uh innovative and how digital forward they are last quarter 37 percent of their sales still came from digital apps. So they've been one of the only ones that managed to really hold on to this digital revolution we saw during during the pandemic. They're good with their, their drive-throughs, they're innovative with their menu, uh, and they've done a great job controlling costs and passing on price hikes. They've, they've raised menu prices about 13% to defend margins. So I think they're just a very well-run, nimble company, and I expect them to do quite well. You know, Vic, you're really hitting on one thing I was going to ask you about. I've certainly noticed the price hikes at Chipotle. I'm a fan of their food and the burritos and things. Um, <laughs> in addition to those price hikes, we're also seeing another trend that's going on is people returning back to work. How much of your thesis about around Chipotle is around just people going back to the office and not as impacted by those price hikes? Because I'm at the office. I really don't have a choice. I have to eat somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's a huge trend. You see that especially in the city centers and other places where people are having to get out of the home a little harder. You actually have to meal prep, which I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little too lazy to get the meal <laughs> prep done. I'm sorry. I can't do it Sunday nights. Uh, so I do. I think you can see this boost of the returning workforce, especially to the urban areas. And Chipotle does a really good job of where they position their stores, as well as their. some of their stores are very digital, almost just like a, a, a storefront. They're not meant for dining. They're meant for the, the person with a grab-and-go and a lunch situation for lunch on the run. And so I think they've done a good job of positioning their stores in a way that attracts a diverse consumer base of right. dine-in, carry-out, delivery, and app ordering. Because if I have to call someone to order food, I'm not going to do it. You know what? That is a barrier a lot of times. Using the app's a lot easier. I also want to get your take on chips. Obviously, On was one of your picks. Um, what's the state of the chip sector right now? And are you bullish? Are you not so bullish? I mean, we keep thinking that we're seeing the bottom when it comes to chips, and then there seems to be another bottom. Yeah, and I think all of this is, is like it's almost a, a re read on what's happening to the markets right now because we have this big run up in all the chip stocks, Nvidia on, Skyworks, everybody, it's risk on. But now we're still stuck. We had Intel not so great, AMD did okay. I think this year is going to kind of be a referendum, or this week as we get more and more earnings, will be a better referendum right. on on the state of that union. But the PC market is so slow, and I think that's going to continue to drag on PC focus and and kind of the, instead of the industrial or the the technological. On that side, Wait, I don't want to cut you PC. off, Vicky. But speaking of the PC slowdown, really quick, I do want to get your take because we're going to have to let you go in a second on the Dell job cuts today. Really, a big trend when it comes to companies right now. It seems that you, you cut jobs and then your stock price jumps. What's your take on the Dell job cuts? And just in general, what is that? What do you think that means about the broader tech sector? Tech is still under pressure, and the markets love it when a CEO makes job cuts because they look at that as protecting margins. So right now, that's a very in vogue trend of the market, especially in tech, is to to tighten their belts. Investors want to see discipline. They didn't really like the expansion that happened after 2020. So much earnings got pulled forward during the pandemic, and, and they, they staffed up too fast. And that was an Amazon problem, Microsoft, any of these guys. And so I think job cuts are seen as fiscal discipline, and the market really likes that right now.
Victoria Green, appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for waking up early with us. No, no right. problem. Before we end, Wex, we want to take one more look at futures right now. In the red right now, following that blowout jobs report on Friday, we're looking at the Dow. Looks like it could open up about 200, 250 points lower at this moment. The Nasdaq also more than a percent lower. Also want to look at the laggards on the Nasdaq right now. We're looking at Datadog down 4%, PayPal down 3%, and down there, JD.com. We just mentioned them selling the cheaper iPhones down almost 2.5%. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.